Please uh, turn in your Bibles or take one of the pew Bibles there that are in front of you and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans, New Testament, uh, the sixth book of the New Testament. We have been studying the first uh, few chapters. We've come uh, up to chapter 8. We're taking it paragraph by paragraph, roughly, and trying to see what Paul, inspired by God, had to say to this Roman church and, and how it's very applicable to us. The message is universal because his message was that all of us have been affected by sin, and that's completely true. That every one of us is guilty of sin and therefore under condemnation, judgment from God. But we're not just affected by the guilt of sin, but also its corrupting power. We were enslaved to it. And what Paul has in mind, and what the Spirit of God had in mind through Paul, is that you would see God has a comprehensive solution for your problem with sin. He answers the guilt of your sin by transferring the, the sin from you to Christ. And He stands in your place, and absorbs the condemnation. That's what happened on the cross. All the condemnation that was due your sin was poured out on Jesus. And that's why it says in Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It was already spent and there's nothing left. But He also sends His Spirit to you as an ally in a fight against sin. And in the language of conflict, of struggle, of war, that runs through this whole passage. That we find no strength in ourselves to answer the, the power of sin, but with the Spirit, there is real help to answer our need. That's the passage we're upon now. How the Spirit comes and helps us look at our sin and begin to put it to death. That's the language. So, before we read this Scripture, I want to pray and ask God to bless the reading and study of His Word, and then we'll read it together. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, You inspired these words and preserved them for us. So now we can read these words, and it's as if You are speaking from Heaven. If the clouds are to part, this is what You would say. So we pray, would You help us listen to Your Word, submit to it, to believe it, and to lean on Christ fully, for our salvation. He is the hero of the Scriptures. And so He is our champion and our victor. And we want to trust Him. Grant us repentance from every other form of salvation that we might find. From looking for our salvation in ourselves or in the things that we own or anywhere else. That we may only look to Christ. We pray, send Your Spirit to guide us through the Word that we're about to read. And may You cause eternal changes in our hearts because of what we do for the next few minutes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of Romans 8. We're going to focus on verses 5 to 13. But for context, I want you to see the verses that come before. Romans 8, verse 1. This is God's Word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law 
might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is God's Word. It's completely true and it's utterly trustworthy. When I was in college, we had one of those uh, get-to-know-you games at the beginning of a semester. It was called Gotcha. You bought a plastic gun and some little rubber pellets. And everybody who was in wrote their name on a sheet of paper. And the paper was the papers were all mixed together. And then they were drawn out randomly. And when you came to pick up the name, you got someone else's name. And the rules were, you were to learn three facts about that person and then shoot them. It's a game. Now, the way it works out is you would track this person down. You would shoot them with the little rubber pellets, which didn't hurt. Uh, then you would tell them the three facts if they were uh, confirmed by the person. You got the name they had, and you kept eliminating people until there were only two left. And just to make it a little more complex, if you were tracking your target, and the target shot you the assassin, they got an hour free. You couldn't attack them again for an hour. Those were the rules. started on a Sunday evening. Uh, by Tuesday, we had narrowed it down from about 50 or 60 to probably about 6 or 8. The first few went down, you know, you, you hunt down the weakest first. That's the way it works. On Tuesday, I had Jerry's name. Now, Jerry was a friend of mine. I already knew him. And Jerry and I were uh, both extremely competitive. And, and uh, he was uh, obviously something of the survivor type. And so I was tracking him down the first time, and he shot me, and I had to give him an hour. But I was determined to find him. And over and over again, I tracked him down from Tuesday afternoon until Thursday night. I spent almost every waking hour and a few hours that I probably should have been asleep tracking him down. I learned that if, if there was a, an industry in stalking, I might be able to have a profession. I knew everything about him. I knew when his classes were. I knew when he left his apartment I knew where he parked, both at his apartment and on campus. I knew where he liked to eat and when he ate. I knew when he would study in the library. We had a couple of shootouts there. I was standing outside the calculus door so that when he walked out of his calculus class, I could ambush him. It got to the point where he would send his friends out to scout the hallways first. It was just a matter of time. 
in one of the shootouts in the library, I got him. And I got the next name. And uh, that's just sort of the, the way the game goes. I had a strategy and I put it into play. On Friday afternoon, I needed to do some schoolwork for the first time that week because I'd spent it all tracking Jerry. And I was working on a lab report that had to be in and I didn't have any time to, to put it off as I had uh, basically all week. And while I was sitting there studying, I felt the rubber pellet hit me right here. Mark and I were the last ones, and he got me. I took second, which is, in my opinion, first loser. The, the lesson is uh, do your homework in private. But also, uh, it's when you're in a game of, 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 you know, kill or be killed, you got to have a strategy and you got to stick to it. Well, when it comes to plastic guns and rubber pellets, that's not a big deal. Mark, Jerry, and I are still friends. When it comes to spiritual things, the Bible says someone's going to die. And it's not a game. Look at verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Someone is going to die. If you live according to the flesh, that is the the sinful nature, if you give in to these old habits and the, the natural way of life, you will be the one who dies. The other option is to look at those sinful ways, the misdeeds of the body, and with the help of God's Spirit, put it to death, and then you will live. But one of you is going to die. That's the message. And so you need a bit of a strategy. Uh, Tim Keller, when he's trying to explain what it means to put sin to death, says it this way. It means to declare war on attitudes and behaviors that are wrong, to give them no quarter, take no prisoners, to pull out all the stops. It means Christian. It means a Christian doesn't play games with sin. You don't taper off or say, I can keep it under control. You get as far away from it as possible. You don't just avoid things you know are sin, but things that lead to it and even things that are doubtful. This is war. Put it to death. That is Paul's command to you. You look at the sin and you know it's kill or be killed. Someone is going to die. Let me tell you what it looks like when sin is putting you to death. Okay? There's three things you can see. When sin is putting you to death. First, it says that your mind is on fleshly things. That is, the sinful things. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Okay, what does that mean? To have your mind on the things of the flesh. Obviously, we can say that's that's people who live for, you know, just silly pleasures. They can't control themselves. They're just out doing illicit and immoral things. This is a person who's who's given over to drugs and, and, and all kinds of immorality. That's a guy who set his mind on fleshly things. But really... It's not just that. It's almost anything that's your appetite. 
Anything that you, you kind of really desire when your mind is set on it. Um, ask this question. What do I want? That the, the fleshly mind, this sinful mind says, am I getting the pleasure I want? Am I getting the stuff, money or things that I want? Am I getting the respect and recognition that I want? Am I getting the um, peace and quiet that I want? And Now, as I describe all those things, none of those things are especially bad. The problem is it's when your mind is set on them. Not that you think about them, but when it's the consuming thought of your mind. You see, sin is, is tricky. And for you... It might not, it's not going to be able to appeal to you to try to get you to do something deeply and profoundly immoral. You're churchgoers. What it's going to try to do is simply get your mind off the things that matter. And so we live on these smaller things. Am I getting these things that I really want? And I begin to dwell on them and think about them and I set my mind on them and it becomes the consuming passion of my life and soul. My mind is on them all the time. So, that's the first sign that sin is putting you to death. The second one is that you are hostile to God. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Alright? So what does hostile to God look like? Again, we've got these immoral people who reject and, and, and obviously say, I don't care about God, I don't like Him, and I don't want to talk about Him, I'm going to live my life how I want to. But the other way to be hostile to God it's to say, you know, I want a good job and I want a comfortable place to live and I want my peace and quiet and I want some happiness and I'll take some God too. And we have this circle in which I live in the center and I pick the things that I want in my life to surround me and God's one place in those. And, and, and the truth is, if I'm honest, I don't want God to be like He is. I want Him to be like I want Him to be. I want God to conform to what I think God ought to be for me. And so I've got a little niche cut out in my life where I say, God, you come in here and fill this spot, but don't get too big and don't get too close and certainly don't mess with the other parts of my circle. And what I've really done is said to God who says, I must be first. And I am who I am. I'm the real God. You know, if I came to you and said, you know, I don't, I don't like the way you're doing this and the way you're interacting with me. I want you to change and interact with me this other way. You might look at me and go, yeah, we're not going to be friends that way. God says, I am God. And, and you have to deal with the one God who really is. And so when I try to make him fit a small part of my life, I'm really saying, God, I need you to change. And it's a hostility toward God where I say, you are welcome to a small portion of my life, but not the whole thing. That's one of the signs that sin is, is killing you. The third one is you're unable to submit to Him. Again, verse 7, the, the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. You know, what happens is, is like this. I look to the Bible, and I want to say to the Bible, we're peers. 
We're equals. I'll listen to the advice you have for my life, and if I like it, good, we'll do it. And so I see this thing the Bible says, and I go, oh, that's good. I like that. That is a great idea. I'm going to try to implement that. But I come to other passages, and I go, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not sure I want that part. And so I say, you know, I appreciate the advice, but uh, I'll do something else. You see, I'm unwilling to put myself underneath the Bible and it tell me this is the authority of God and you have to get under it and submit to it. And see, when I'm unwilling to submit to the Bible, I'm unwilling to submit to God's Word, I'm unwilling to submit to God, I'm saying, God, you and I are peers and it's sin putting me to death. Now, a lot of us would say, oh, I would never do that. Here's how churchgoers like us would do that. We would look at the Bible and we would read it. And instead of saying, how does this apply to me? We think, oh, you know who needs to hear this? I can think of some other people who really need to hear this. And we like to apply the Bible to everybody else. And you see what I've done is I've, I've said, let's me and the Bible talk to these people. You know, it's me and the Bible. We're going to try to help you all out. And what I've done is I've still made myself appear with the Bible and appear with God's Word and I'm an equal with God and it's sin putting me to death. Those are the three ways you can see sin putting you to death. Let me talk about three ways. You can put sin to death by the Spirit. First, set your mind on the Spirit. Verse 5 again, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Put your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now here's the thing. If you and I are affected by sin the way Paul describes, then the natural course for us is to live for our appetites. That's the thing that's going to come into your mind the most. Is we're going to say, what do I want? I'm going to think about that. I want peace and quiet. How can I get it? I, I, I want respect. How can I get it? And I'm going to dwell on those things. And say, that's what I'm going to think about all the time. So for us to set our minds on the Spirit, on, on the things of the Spirit, we have to do this work. It's like swimming upstream. It doesn't come naturally. We have to fight to keep our minds on those things. How, how do you do it? Well, the Spirit, it's His thing. He's glad to help. The Spirit is more than happy to help you think of those things. And, and just a little teaser, next week we're going to see what the things of the Spirit are. Uh, we're going to see it's about adoption and assurance and help from God and access to God. We're going to see it next week, so I hope you can come back. If you can't, read ahead. Paul describes it. But I want you to say, how do we do it? How do we get our minds on the things of the Spirit? Well, the simplest thing is read the Bible. Read it a lot if you can. Read it as much as you are able. The psalmist says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart so that my mind would be on it and it would keep me from sin. I had a friend who gave someone a Bible and in it he wrote uh, this in the uh, opening pages. He says, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Now I think that's basically right. Maybe a tad simplistic. But it's basically right. The, the Bible is your way to keep yourself from sin. It's the way to get your mind on the things of the Spirit. So, 
when Karen and I were looking for our very first house. We were in Tennessee, the first house we went in. Cute house, lots of curb appeal. We went into the master bedroom, and, and the people who were selling it were evangelicals uh, who had been the head coach of the football team, and he'd moved on. And on the, the door that went out to the hallway from the master bedroom was uh, 1 Corinthians 13. It was either in magic marker or paint on the back of the door. And on the door to the, to the closet was Ephesians 5. So that every morning and every evening, this couple would see these two great passages of Scripture. It would always be on their minds. Now, a lot of you are like, I don't know about that. I'm not ready to paint my doors. Fine. Don't paint your doors. Put up a note card on your mirror. Buy a devotional. Get an app for your phone that causes you to, to be alerted to Scripture every day so that you look at it and you read it and think about it. Uh, become a pastor. They'll let you study all the time. Do whatever it takes to put the Bible in your way so that you can fill your mind with the things of the Spirit. Second thing, put to death sin by trusting the Spirit. Listen to this. Verse 9. Remember he said, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In verse 8, you, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, but if Christ is in you, that is, if you trust, if you have faith, although the body is dead because of the sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if you trust in Christ, the Spirit's in you, and if the Spirit's in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Did you hear that? It's one of those great, grand, magnificent promises of Scripture. If you trust in Christ, then you get the Spirit of God, and if the Spirit of God in you, you have the one who raised Jesus from the dead, and He's raising your body from the dead. He's raising your soul from the dead. He is giving you life through righteousness. Here's the short version of that. If you are in Christ Jesus, trust the Spirit to actually give you life. To be able to look at sin and say, no, trust the Spirit. Now, trust is, is the key in this. How do you know if it's trust or not? Okay? Trust is always demonstrated by action. You know, if, if somebody said, hey man, I, I know where you can get uh, you know, a free lunch today. You know how I'll know? If, you know how you'd know if I believed you? I'd be there where you told me it was. You know, getting a free lunch, of course. I, I, I use the illustration of the tightrope walker who walks across Niagara Falls with a, a, a wheelbarrow full of bricks and he asks the crowd, do you think I can take a man across? And they cheer. And he says, who will get in? And no one wants to get in to ride with him. See, that's the difference between sort of a cognitive acknowledgement, I bet you can, and trust, I'll get in the wheelbarrow. If you trust the Spirit to give you righteousness, then go and practice righteousness and think the Spirit will be there when I try. 
uh, an illustration I used years ago here. When I was a kid, I, I was watching my dad mow the yard. That's probably four or five. And, you know, as kids, you like to do what dads want to do. And I thought, I want to mow the yard. I've gotten over it. It was a push mower. And he was pushing it. And, you know, the trick to push mower is you're taller than it. And so you put your hands on it and you kind of lean and it transfers the energy forward. Well, I was shorter. I had to reach up for it. And you can't push a lawnmower that way. And I, I leaned on it with all my strength. My dad saw what was going on. So he reached around me and put his hands on it and began to push the lawnmower. And it was moving. And you know what? With everything I had in me, I was working hard to mow the yard, and I was mowing the yard. But dear friends, it was dad's strength. That's what it's like for the Spirit of God to come to you as you go to practice righteousness. You find the Spirit of God there helping. The power's already there. Trust Him. The last thing. Put to death sin by living in debt. Look at this. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. We don't have an obligation to the flesh anymore. It's, it's over. That debt's been paid. Our debt now is to live according to the Spirit. Here's what that really means. It means that you want to think about what Christ has done and already accomplished for you. You want to remember that He loved you enough to rescue you from sin at the cost of His own life. And see, that really changes everything. You see, apart from what Christ has done, the motivation we would have to resist sin is that I'd better do it or God's going to get me. I'd better obey the law or I'll be in trouble. But God has already answered the trouble. The condemnation is spent. There's nothing left. There's no trouble to give you. And because that's true, there's a whole new reason for us to obey, and that is because you've been loved so deeply that Jesus would abandon heaven itself in order to come rescue you at the cost of His own blood. That's the, the magnitude and intensity of His love. And what it does for you is it wins love back. Here's how this works in a real practical way. Again, Tim Keller. Most Christians try to control themselves with law-centered many sermons like this. We say to ourselves, God's going to get me, or it's against my Christian principles, or it will hurt people around me, or I'll be embarrassed, or it will hurt my self-esteem, or I'll be caught, or I'll hate myself in the morning. Some or all of these may be true, but Paul tells us they're inadequate. They don't kill sin. That's taking sin to the law and using the sense of fear to deter yourself. But we are to use the logic of the gospel on ourselves. Look what he has done for me. Is this how I respond to him? The gospel says, not fear. Look, those things may be true. And there may be a valid concern. I don't want to hurt someone. And if I sin, I keep on saying it's going to hurt them. That's valid. It's true. But it's never, ever going to be enough to kill sin. Only by the power of the Spirit bringing you to, to Christ the Savior is it going to be enough to kill sin. 
I, I want to leave you with Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a physician turned pastor in England. And he preached sermons for ten years going through the book of Romans. I'm not going to do that. But he, he didn't even finish. He died before it was over. But, you know, he had to say almost everything that could possibly be said. Here's what he said about how we live in debt, not to the law and not to sin, not to our flesh, but we live in a, a debt to, to Christ's love. He said it like this, The difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is the difference between a man transgressing the laws of the state and a husband who has done something he should not do in relationship with his wife. He's not breaking the law. He's wounding the heart of his wife. That's the difference. It's not a legal matter. It's a matter of personal relationship and love. The man does not cease to be husband, legally in that instance. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, it is now something much worse than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against the law of the land objectively outside me than hurt someone whom I love. You sinned, of course, but you sinned against love. You may and maybe should feel ashamed, but you should not feel condemnation. To do so is to put yourself back under law. Do you hear what he's saying? That as you come to face sin, that your debt isn't to the law anymore. It isn't to what you're kind of supposed to be. It isn't to your fleshly nature and how much strength you have. It's to Christ who loved you. And so what you want to say is, how can I keep on acting in rebellion to Him. He loved me so much. It, it, it's like He says, a husband to a wife, or if I can use it today, a father against a child. What happens when I sin against my children? I don't think, ah, oh, i got to get some law and some rules to figure this out. I think, what have I done because I've hurt the one I love? You see, that's the gospel. You've got one who loves you so much that there's power by His Spirit to enable you to put that sin, that rebellion, to death, to give it no quarter, to show it no mercy, to, to stab it and to stab it and to stab it again until that sin is dead. Someone is going to die. And if you're in Christ, it's the sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask You to show us grace by Your Spirit to lead us to Christ that we might have the resources to put this sin to death. Uh, we pray that You would fill us with life in Jesus and that we would know the pleasure of walking with Your Spirit and with You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.